Good morning, everybody. Nice to see you. And just wanted to mention before we learned that today is the yard side of a very dear friend of ours, Rebetzin, Miriam Lone Brown, Gimel Siva, and in the Shamshav and Aliyah, Mechayel Achayel. We'll learn the uh, Torah this morning, Le'ilu'i Nishmasa. So we have two Ma'amoran that we're going to see today. They're, they're different. The first one is along our topic of Midrash. And your copy has a front and a back. We're on the side uh, that says letter base, about six lines down. So before we get into the Midrash, I want to cite three Pesukim that are in Megillus Rus that have to do with the Bracha. And that's what the Midrash that we're going to see is centered upon. Now back in, Ber- in Perak Bays, I'm not reading yet from our paper, I'm reading from Megillus Rus. So back in Perak Bays, it says there, this is in Pasuk um, Chaf, Perak Bays Pasuk Chaf. So Rus has just returned from gleaning in the fields of Boaz, and he was very kind to her and very considerate of her, and she came back with a lot of grain for their for her and Naomi, that were both desperately poor. Vatomer Naomi, so Naomi says to Lakalasa, her daughter-in-law, Ruth, Boruchu la Hashem. Blessed is he to Hashem. So she's referring to Boaz, who of course is her relative. Asherlo Azav Chasdo, he did not leave his kindness, did not abandon his kindness. Es hachaim ves hamesim, with those who are alive and those who are dead. So Nomi said to Ruth, this man who is so good to you and so considerate of you, he's our relative, he is a goel, he can redeem our properties, and ultimately that would include Ruth as well. So that's the first time, the first pasuk there, and it says again, Baruch Hu Hashem. Now, a little later in Rus, in Perigimel, and this is in Pasuk Yud, this is when Rus has gone down to the granary where Boaz is. He's been threshing his grain there. And it's in the middle of the night. And as we all know, it's a very mysterious type of encounter. A lot of questions about how could that encounter be. But nonetheless, so it was. It's a whole different topic. I do want to make mention of the fact, because it's important halachically, that this was a situation of Yichud Penuya Tahora, that they were ended up in the same room together. That should be Yichud. For us, that would be Yichud. Now, she's a single woman, and she's a Penuya, I'm sorry, Penuya, and she's Tahora. She was also Tahora at that time. She had been to the mikveh. So, the Isser of Yichud, which is an Isser de Rabbanan, the Isser of Yichud with a Penuya Tahora, a woman who is unmarried and Tahora, that prohibition was not enacted until the time of David HaMelech. So in this time when this occurred, that was not an Isser for them to be in terms of Yichud. She was Penuya and Tahora. No, she would, they were inside the granary. They were inside. That's where Boaz was. So we're inside of a, a building there. 
Now, nonetheless, of course, it's very questionable. That was the hashkocha, it should happen that way. But halachically, that was not usur at that time. That did not happen until a few hundred years later. David HaMelech made that isra yichud penuya tahara. So they're together there. And Boaz says to her, Mi'ad, who are you? Because it's dark, it's nighttime. And she says, Anochi rusa masecha, I am Rus, your maidservant. And then she says these words to him, Ufarasta kenafecha alam amasecha kigoel ata. And may you spread your cloak upon your maidservant, for you are the Redeemer. Now the Mephorshim say what that means is that she was prepared to marry him at that point. Parasta kenafecha is like we would say spreading out a chuppah over the chasen and kala. That's what she meant when she said to him, may you spread your cloak over Amasecha that she's prepared to marry you, to marry him. So what does he say? Our second pasuk with the bracha. Vayomer berucha at Hashem biti. You are blessed to Hashem, my daughter, biti. So he speaks to her very nicely, gives her a bracha. This later kindness that you're prepared to marry me, he's already an old man, as we'll see soon. This later kindness is greater than the earlier kindnesses that you did in your life. That you have not gone after to marry the young men, which be, which be much more suitable for her because she's a younger woman, whether he was wealthy, whether he was poor, it would be more suitable for you to marry a younger man, but you're agreeing to marry me, and he's quite a bit older than her. We'll see that in the Midrash. So that's when he says to her, Barucha at la Hashem. And there's one other bracha that we're going to focus on, although it doesn't use the word bracha. So later on in Perik Dalid in Rus, uh, the Goel, the first Goel, who was Plony Amoni or Tov, He's the closest relative. He has a chance to buy the fields and then to marry Ruth. He declines. He doesn't accept the Psach Halacha, Amoni Velo Amoni, Smoavi Velo Moavis. Boaz had just paskined in public, he's a Godel Hador, to make it known in an official public capacity that even though she's a Moabite, she's a Moavis, because she's a woman, she can marry a Jewish man. Mo'avi velo Mo'avis. A Jewish, I'm sorry, a convert male from Mo'av cannot convert in and marry a Jewish woman, but a convert female from Mo'av can marry, convert and marry in a Jewish man. So that was made clear to all on that day. And nonetheless, Plony Almoni says, no, I don't want to do this. And he's heavily criticized for that. And then Boaz, who is the next in line of being a Goel, he steps forth and he redeems the fields, which originally had belonged to Elimelech, Machlon, and Kilion. Then they went to their wives, uh, Naomi and Ruth. Now, Elim- I'm sorry, Boaz redeems the fields, and along with that, he marries Ruth. So at that point, there's a large gathering of people in the gate of the city, and it says in Perik Dal, Pasuk um, Yud Aleph. All the people who were there and the elders. May Hashem make 
that this woman who is coming into your home, Rus, may she be like Rachel and Leah. Asherbanu Shtehem Esbeis Yisrael, that they built, the two of them, the house of Israel, and do great things, mighty things in Ephras, and call the name there in Beislechem. And your house should be like the house of Peretz, that's his ancestor, one of the sons of Yehuda through Tamar. Asher Yolda Tamar li Yehuda. Min hazera asher yiten Hashem lecha. From the seed, the children that Hashem will give you. Min hana'aro hazos. From this young woman. Vayikach Boaz asrus. And Boaz took Rus. Vatihilo li Isha. And she was a wife to him. Vayavo eila. And he was together with her. Vayiten Hashem lo heirayon vateilad bain. And Hashem gave her a pregnancy, and she gave birth to a son who was Oved Avi Yishai Avi David. That's the source of David Hamelas lineage. So all the people at the at the gate there, when Boaz is marrying Rus, uh, he give, they give him a big bracha. May she be like Rachel and Leah, and it should be like the house of Peretz, and all these beautiful things. Now, just as an aside, all those people there, Boaz's family, which shevet are they from? Yehuda. Who does Yehuda come from? Leah. So you kind of think they would say, Kaleya Ucharachal, being that that's their Shevet. But they said, Karachal Ukaleya. They put Rachel first. So there's two comments on this. Rashi says, Karachal Ukaleya, Afal Pishahoyu Mishevet Yehuda, Umi B'nei Leah. Even though those people were from the tribe of Yehuda, they were B'nei Leah. Modim Haim al Rachel Shehoisa Ikara Shabayis. They were moda. They acknowledged that Rachel was Zacharias Habayis. That's an amazing thing on their part, that they put Rachel first. That's what Rashi says. Then the Ebenezer says, a little differently, makes a comment on the same Nukuda, why are they saying Rachel first, when they're all from Sheva Yehuda. Because she was the wife of Yaakov, who was his first thought. He first wanted to marry Rachel. Love intrigued him. He married Leah and then Rachel. So they put Rachel first because they were acknowledging that she was really the one he wanted at the beginning. So Rachel's before Leah. Now that's an aside. I just wanted to bring it out because I found it very interesting. Okay, now we're going to see the Midrash and then we'll take some questions. So that gives us the background. So letter base there in the handout that you have, letter base. It's front and back, so if you don't see it on the one side, just slip it over, it'll be on the other side. Six lines down. So just as we learn, Boaz said to her, this is Ruth, and he's speaking to her now there in the granary, and he said, you are blessed to Hashem, my daughter, your later kindness is greater than your earlier one. Rabbi Yochanan, Bereish Lakish, Verabanan. We have a three-way machlokis here between Rabbi Yochanan, Reish Lakish, and the Chachanan. Rabbi Yochanan Amar, Rabbi Yochanan said, La'olam al yimna adam atzmo mileleich etzel zakkein levarcho. A person should never hold himself back from going to an elder person, a wise person, to get a bracha. Don't hold, your, don't hold yourself back from seeking a bracha from a zakein. Why do you see that? Boaz haya ben shmoni mishana velo nifkad. 
Boaz was 80 years old. Now we know how old he was. Below Nifkad, he had not yet had any children. Now this follows the opinion that Boaz was not Ivtsan. Now we, we mentioned this before. Some say Boaz was Ivtsan. He was one of the Shoftim. Ivtsan had 30 sons and 30 daughters. So obviously that's not this opinion. This opinion says Boaz it was not Ivtsan. It's a different person. And Boaz was childless up until age 80. The Kaban Shehispalalav Osad Sadekes Miyad Nifkad. But once he received a tefillah from that Sadekes, who? Naomi. Immediately he was Nifkad, he was remembered by Hashem to conceive. Shenamar, as it said, the first source that we cited this morning, Vatomer Naomi Baruchu Lashem. Naomi said to Ruth, He is blessed, Hashem. So Ruth came back from the field. She has her grain. She has a nice amount of food for them. She explains to Naomi what happened. Naomi says, this righteous woman, she is old too. She's a Zakain. She's an, an, elder, an elderly woman. So she said, Baruchu Hashem. That was it. As soon as he was together with Ruth, they conceived. And remember, they were only together for one night because he died the very next day. So, and they conceived a child. So here's a man, 80 years, never has a child, gets a bracha from Naomi, not even in her presence. He's somewhere else. And Naomi says, Baruchu Hashem, he marries Ruth. One time together, they have a child. So that's one. And that is the opinion of Rabbi Yochanan. That's the first one. As she, as she says, Baruchu Hashem. Now let's, let's see the second opinion. Reish Lakish Amar. Reish Lakish says, Ruth bas arboim shana At this juncture, Ruth was 40 years old. So she is 40 years younger than Boaz. Quite a bit younger. Velo nifkida, and she had not yet had a child because she and Machlon, when they were married, did not have children. Now you can skip the next three words. They're not supposed to be there. Kevan shenisei samachlon. Vekevan shehispalel aleha osod tzadik nifkida. But as soon as this tzaddik, Boaz, was mispalo for her, he davened for her, so she too became remembered by Hashem, and she conceived a child, Shenamar, because what did he say to her in the granary there? Vayomer berucha at Hashem biti. Blessed are you to Hashem, my daughter. Boom. First time she's together with somebody, which is actually him, a short time later, she conceives after 40 years. Now, according to this opinion, the Mephorshim point out, Boaz could have been Ivsan. That he had children, but she didn't. So she's 40 years old, she has no children, she gets a bracha from Boaz, she conceives, she has a child. Okay, that's two, that's two ways of looking at it. Barabban and Amrin and the Chachamim say, Shneihem lo nifkidu, neither of them had children. Ruth is 40, she's childless, Boaz is 80, he is childless. Therefore, he's not Ivtsan, according to the Chachamim's opinion. Ella mibirchosehen shel tzadikim. They were remembered to conceive from the brachos of righteous people. Which righteous people? All the people who stood there by the gate at the time of their wedding and said that bracha der, may you be like Rachel and Leah. That bracha, shenamar, as it says, I'll quote from what we just learned. 
And all the people there and the elders, they said, We are witness. May Hashem make this woman to you be like Rachel and Leah and continue, etc., with their beautiful bracha. He's 80, she's 40, neither have children, they're together one night and they conceive. So back to the original statement of the, of the Midrash that a person should never hold himself back from going to get a bracha from a zakein. Because look what happened here. Any way you look at it, somebody got a bracha from a zakein and they were able to uh, full, uh, receive that bracha and have children. So those were the three opinions here and they all revolve around a bracha. Now we'll just finish up the last part of the Midrash here. So Boaz says to her, when she's prepared to marry him, and she says, you will spread your cloak over me. So he says, your later kindness is greater than your earlier kindness. Now, let's just see what that means. If you take a look, move over to the side of the page in the Eitz Yosef, and let me just find it there for a minute. Oh, I, let, let me finish it first inside, then we'll go over to the right side. Okay, so back to the Midrash. Amar Rabbi Shmuel bar Rabbi Yitzchak. Rabbi Shmuel bar Rabbi Yitzchak says, Ho'isha oheves bochur miskein mizakein asher. A woman, meaning a younger woman, would prefer to marry a young man who's poor than an old man who's rich. So she's 40, and the Chachamim say she was beautiful. They say Ruth was very beautiful. She could have got, easily gotten married to a younger man. And here's an 80-year-old man, and she marries him. Why? L'shem Shemaim. What was L'shem Shemaim? She wanted Machlon's neshama to come back into the world, this Yibum type type of relationship, and come through her. And that, of course, would be, end up as the ancestor of David HaMelech. So that's what he says to her. What was her first kindness that she helped when Machlon and Kilion died? We'll see that in Mephorashim. She helped out a lot there. So this kindness, that you're willing to marry somebody twice your age, that's even greater than the initial kindness that you did. He's old, but he's wealthy. Sorry, the Chachamim say, a younger woman would prefer a younger man, even if he's poor. Okay, now take a look at the um, Eitz Yosef, where it says, Ohebes Isha Bochur Miskein. I'm sorry, I didn't number it. It's about halfway down the right side of the page in the Eitz Yosef commentary. If you see that squiggly little line on the far right, it's about two, three lines below that. Ohebes Isha Bochur Miskein. This means to say, When Boaz saw that her intention was, She wanted to do kindness to the soul of Machlon, her first husband, who had died. So he said to her, Blessed are you to Hashem, my daughter. You did two different kinds of kindnesses. They're both very outstanding. Echad, what was the first? So back then, in the fields of Moab, when she married Machlon and Machlon died, they didn't have anything. They were poor. So he would have been buried without any clothing. And that would be considered a bizayon. It's a bizayon to the maze to be buried without clothing. Not respectful. Shenit palta betach 
that you involved yourself to make sure that they had tachrich in burial clothing. Big mitzvah. It's a big mitzvah to make sure that a mace is buried with proper kavod. And the Midrash earlier mentioned this. So that's what he meant when he said, your first kindness to who? To Machla, who was her husband. That chesed she did with the body of Machlon, to the body of Machlon, that he wouldn't be buried unclothed. But this later kindness that you choose to do with me, to marry me, it's even greater than the earlier kindness. Because that first chesed was with Machlon's body, and the second chesed is with his soul. Remember, what's going on here is that the neshama of Machlon is going to come back in through Ruth and Boaz. That's what the Kabbalistics for him teach us. I'll get to just one second. That you set aside being married to a younger man, which you could have. Because it's, it's nicer for you. It's more of a relationship to be married to somebody who's closer to your age. Even if he's poor, than to marry an older man who's 80 years old, twice her age. That's what he said, whether rich or poor. You could have found a wealthy young man too, he says to her. Because she was very pretty and she was a woman of stature. You left all that in order to marry me because I'm a goa, meaning I'm closer to your family, and that relationship in terms of bringing Machlon's neshama back is much more doable through him, who's a member of the same mishpacha. So I will redeem the soul of the mace. The imkain, therefore, this chesed, this later one, is greater because it's going to benefit his neshama than the earlier one which benefited his group. He says that from the Igeri Shmuel, you see that in parenthesis, that's one of the earlier primary mephorshim on Megillus Rus, is the Igeri Shmuel. Um, Aviva, you had a question or a comment? So this is a very difficult question, right? So let me say out this machlokas amongst the Chachamim and the machlokas between Rashi and Evan Ezra, the same machlokas. Some say that Rus and Orpah were not converted. And when they married Machlon and Kilion, it was an intermarriage. It was an Avera. And therefore she converted later when she's walking back with Naomi and Naomi is asking her certain questions. And Ruth says to her, your nation is my nation, your God is my God. Her conversion is happening later. Now that's one. Second opinion is, they converted. That Ruth and Orpah converted. Now, if, so therefore, it wasn't an intermarriage. Okay, that makes us feel better about what happened. But it creates a very big, big kasha. Why did she have to convert later? 
Why does she need to convert again when she went back with Naaman? She's already Jewish. Big question on this opinion. Okay, you got right on the mark, Aviva. It was not the best conversion. That's what the Mephorshim say. It was not a Lechad Chila conversion. Uh, most likely she was converting for the sake of marriage. Now, Bidiyavid, that passes muster. It's, it's a kosher Geris Bidiyavid, but it's not a kosher Geris Lechad Chila. So she's Jewish. Now she's coming back with Naomi. Now she's got to do what we would call nowadays a Giyur Lechumra. Uh, we call that an upgrade. <laughs> She's got to get a more orthodox conversion, and she therefore converts again a little later. Okay, so my understanding okay. was that she was not Jewish when she married him. And if that's the case, why would the halachos of Hebrew be in necessary? <coughs> if she was a Goya when she was living right. with him and married right. him, right. then all of this doesn't make sense. Yeah, it, it's a very good question to which I don't have an answer. I don't know why that would possibly be the case. Now, there is an idea, you know, that there's a concept. I'm just speculating now because Aviva's question is very good. There's a concept of Zera Yisroel. And Zera Yisroel means that a person who has a Jewish father and a non-Jewish mother, they're not Jewish. But there's something very interesting about this person which comes from a psaq from Rebetzin Diskin's father, Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky, famous psaq. That in general, when it comes to conversion, we don't encourage con- converts. As a matter of fact, if someone comes forward to convert, initially we push them away. Have to make sure they're very serious. However, Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky, he paskened, if it's Zera Yisroel, if the father is Jewish and the mother is not Jewish and they express a desire to convert, you don't push them away. There's a little something there. You don't push them away. So I'm thinking maybe in using this as a springboard to Mrs. Isby's question, maybe there was a little something there. Yes, the, the child, if there was a child, wouldn't be Jewish. She's a non-Jewish mother. But perhaps the fact that they were together, that there's a little something there, enough of a something that if Yibam happens, that Neshama will be expressed. This is a complete educated guess on my part, and I'm not sure if it's MS, but I want to put it out there. That would be hard to see why that would be necessary. <coughs> sure. Rebison, you had a comment or a question? Yeah, I had a question, but I wanted to say something about that. Yeah. Um, Okay. So my question is on the, we just had this in the Parsha, the redeeming of these fields. Yes. So what happened there? These fields belonged to Naomi's husband. Elimelech. And then they would go down to her children. They died, and then it goes where? Okay, so this is a very big topic of discussion. How does Naomi and Ruth have ownership of these, how do they have ownership of these fields? So they belonged initially to Elimelech, and then after him, to his sons, Machlon and Kilian, and then they died. So where should they go? They should go to male relatives. They shouldn't be belonging to Naomi and Ruth. That's not how the path of Yerusha goes in Halacha. So some of Horshim say that being that those two women were impoverished, that Machlon and Kilion had promised to their wives property 
property in lieu of a kasuva payment which they couldn't afford to pay. So when they died, all that property went to Naomi and to Ruth and probably to Orpah, but it seemingly she relinquished it. And therefore they have rights as a settlement of their ksuba. That's how they got that. Okay. And if Ruth wasn't Jewish, going back to the other question, why would she have rights to a ksuba? So the Meforshim say that nonetheless Machlon wanted her to have rights as a married woman because he didn't want to leave her impoverished. So that Ruth and Naomi came back land rich, cash poor. Okay, so what does that That's mean? how it went, worked. So what does it mean that their fields were weak? So, so did, like, did they sell them for money? They didn't have money. I don't, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, so yes, they sold them. They, they, right. they got money for them. So do we know who they sold them to? Who Boaz. They, they were redeemed from Boaz? No, Boaz got him. He bought him. Boaz got the fields, and that's considered redemption because now they're in the same Shevet. Elimelech, Machlon, Kilian, they're all Shevet Yehuda. Oh, so right? So if Ruth marries that person outside of that Shevet, which she could have, she can marry whoever she wants, now those fields that she had, if she would die, would go to her husband. He, perhaps he was not shaved at Yehuda. So he's redeeming those fields. So, the, so they belong to them. They belong to Ruth and Naomi. They don't have anything. They don't have any money to work their they're, fields. They're, they're just fallow. They're fallow lands. Right. And he's basically purchasing them from, mm-hmm. from them. Right. Boaz buys the fields from them, but they made a, a, an agreement. Ruth's agreement was, you can buy the fields, but you got to marry me too. So I don't understand that was her agreement. Do those lands revert back? I thought, I, no, they're his. They're his. They'll yeah. always be his forever. Yeah. Now, in terms of, of Yovo, where they would go, I'm, I'm, I would assume he keeps them because the original owners who were men are dead. I'd assume he keeps them, but I'm not positive. I think in my mind, the idea of a redemption is you sold your land to someone who they really shouldn't be in their possession. So right. somebody in the family comes and gives money so you can get to right. that. Right. So this land could potentially have gone to another Shevet had and Rus married somebody about. else. Okay. So there would go well because they're keeping the land not only within Shevet Yehuda, but they're either first cousins or uncle and nephew, Boaz and, um, and Elimelech. They're the mamish closely related to each other. So that's, the fields really are just where they need to be. That's already in the direct line of Yerusha. So that's a very good thing. But the question about Rosmus's question yeah. is then if she converted before they married before they married, uh-huh. number one, she may be converting in order to get married, but also she's converting thinking that she can marry. And really at that time when she married him, the halakha was that she could not have married him. As we learned in the other class, right. that she was convertible, but not marriageable. Right. So I was thinking maybe then that puzzles the Garrus in a certain way because she's going into it thinking she can marry a Jew. Now he dies, and and she's prepared at this point to become Jewish without any prospects for marriage. of marriage. Right. So she's perhaps relinquishing that she converted, but she can she as far as she's concerned. She may, not to be, she may not be able to marry anybody until it's understood that mo'avi v'lo mo'avis. Yeah. Yeah. So if you see what I'm saying, yeah. like re- mm-hmm. retroactively that could possible. Yeah. yeah, I don't know that it does possible the conversion. I don't know, but perhaps it creates a question on it. Yes, I don't know. Yeah. Yes, please, Elka. Um, how did Boaz know about that original kindness about the 
So I'm assuming that they heard these things, this communication going back and forth, they're part of the same family, and he is Naomi's you know, first cousin or possibly her uncle, according to one opinion. So I, I'm assuming that they heard this, you know, people were talking about it. And we, we know that when they came back, when Naomi and Ruth came back as paupers, that everybody was talking about it. So there's conversation going on about these people. Some people say that's what it is. Her kindness to her mother-in-law yeah, is what he's talking she's about. Going back and forth the fields, staying in the fields, hot fields every day. Right, most definitely. Yeah, and a lot, a lot more work. Yeah, and a lot more effort. Also, if she wasn't Jewish at the time, how did she at the time she got married. Yeah, okay. how did she even know that she should do something like make tzaddik. She has a very uh, religious and devout mother-in-law. <laughs> but no. Oh. Yeah, no. Naomi was teaching her everything. They were very, very tight, very close relationship. You can see the hashpa'a that Naomi has on Ruth. Right. Yeah. So would you think, if she wasn't Jewish, would you think that Naomi should do it herself? Like, is, is that anything? That a Jewish person should make a tachrichim rather than... An- another good question. So perhaps, I'm just also offering a teretz, that she paid for it. And maybe Naomi made it. But it doesn't say that. And it wouldn't certainly, it would certainly would not puzzle the tachrichin if they were made by an Andrew. They're not puzzle, you know. No, no. Certainly better to be made by a Jew. Yeah. Okay, one more question. Yeah, please, yes. She did. Well, the question is, did she convert when she married Kilion? Before she went back to her family, did she convert? So some would say yes, and some would say no. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Yashika, we're going to take a look at one other mimer. Okay, yeah, please. Yeah. Uh-huh. It was his name. Hope was his name. I mean, Hashemayim, right? He should have been called something else, right? The Right. So the question is, Imigalech Tov. That's what Boaz says to um, Ruth. If he redeems you, that could mean if he redeems you, then good, Tov. Then his name was not Tov. It was Plony Amoni. But if he, if he means tov, if Tov redeems you, then his name is Tov. So we're not sure. And maybe that kind of answers your question. Maybe he's Tov, maybe he's not Tov. <laughs> maybe that answers the question a little questionable there. <laughs> questions are answers. We don't know the answer. Right. <laughs> okay. Now, there's, you want to flip it to a different track? Yeah. Okay, I just wanted to do something on Shavuos as 